Drive less, save more. Ride Coda with the Transit app. Download today for a 450 credit. There's a new way to pay at Coda. How important is faith? Uh, for us as Christians. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In James 1, verse 7, it says, the double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways, and it says that he should not suppose, he should not think that he would receive anything from the Lord because of his lack of faith. So that's, that's like, well, if we don't have faith, we receive nothing. Everything that we experience as Christians is because of faith. On the positive side, if we possess faith, the Bible says as a mustard seed, Jesus said, nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. What an amazing thing. But wouldn't it be great that at the very moment that we are born again, that we just receive this, you know, uh, immeasurable deposit of faith so that we never struggled, we never wavered, we never vacillated. You know, we just trusted God. We went for it. When we had no, uh, no problems at all believing for, for the impossible at all. But that's not the truth, is it? That's not the way the kingdom works. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that when we we were born again, each and every child of God was given a measure of faith. A measure of faith. The Greek word metron, which means a determined extent, a portion measured off. So think of it this way. You were not given an orchard, but you were given a seed. You were not given an orchard, but you were given a seed. What does that mean? It means the seed is this measure, this deposit of faith, and what happens is each and every one of us is responsible to cultivate that so that it grows and expands. There's a parable that Jesus told about faith as a grain of a mustard seed, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Now he's talking about the expansion of the kingdom there, but the reality is the kingdom of God is in us as well. Luke 17, 21 says the kingdom of God is within you. So we're going to see the kingdom expand not only outwardly but in us as well. Then we need to have faith as a mustard seed. It doesn't say faith necessarily the size of, the, of a mustard seed, even though that's implied. But what he's talking about is the quality of that faith, the nature of that faith. And he's saying faith that expands, faith that grows, faith that is alive and vibrant. And anything we know that God has created, it has the capacity to grow and to multiply. So the idea is that our faith would increase, our faith would expand, our faith would multiply. The Christian life is a journey. How many know that? When you, you just, it's a journey, right? We are moving toward what God has called us to experience. It's a process. And in this process, literally, this faith journey, what we are doing is we are, it's like mountain climbing. We're climbing from one plateau to the next. And on each plateau is a level of faith. And so, the Bible says in Romans 1:17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So, how is the righteousness of God revealed? From faith to faith. So, 
that Amplified says this, the righteousness of God is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses more faith. God says our faith must grow, our faith must increase. And when we are intentional about nurturing our faith, then what happens is we will see miracles take place in our life. We will go from one level to the next level. And God has a plan and a purpose to take us to the highest place in Him, but it requires that each and every one cooperates with Him so that we are faithful with what He's given to with us. There's a, a passage of Scripture that we're very familiar with. This is in Matthew 25. That's the one I believe I asked you to turn to. Did I say Matthew 25? I said Matthew. I said 25 or 24, did I? Okay, so 25. There you go. You thought I was perfect, didn't you? <laughs> Just ask my wife now. Uh, so Matthew 25, it's a long story, it's a, but I'm going to read it, starting at verse number 14. This is the parable of the talents. How many know what a talent was? A talent was like money. It was actually cash. So he's talking about Jesus is about to leave. He's about to go back to his father. And he shares this story called the parable of the talents. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So here's the picture. He chooses these three people. One, he just randomly chooses. Well, I'm sure there was a reason for it, but he, in his choice, in his wisdom, he gives him five. And the second one, he gives two, and the third one, he gives one. And he says he does this according to their ability. The word that is translated ability there, it's very important. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's the same word that's translated power in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It can be translated ability, but the context that we understand is that when God says, I will give you power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, he's saying, I'm going to give you a special, divine, supernatural anointing and power to do what I've called you to do. So here he's saying that to these whom he's given talents, he's saying he gives it to them according to their ability. In other words, he says, you can, you can do this. You can literally multiply these five talents. You're capable of seeing increase on the two. And you, you're capable of seeing increase on the one talent. So it's not like he's putting this unreasonable expectations on them. He does it according to their abilities. For us, it's not our human ability, but it's the ability that God provides. So it's that dunamis power that God provides. So what happens is he goes on a journey, and then he returns. And the man who had the five talents, he had actually traded and invested that. He, he had a, an additional five talents. Likewise, the one who had two gained two more. But the one person, the one man who had the one talent, he went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, when the Lord came back, the servants literally had to give an account to him. So the one who had five talents came and brought five more. He said, 
Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. And the Lord said to him, listen to this, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. What does the word faithful mean? It means to be full of faith, right? So, faithful, you're full of faith. What does that mean? Okay, come on now. In the beginning, we're given a measure. But we're to literally grow that measure so that it becomes a full, uh, the fullness of faith. So you take a seed, but you develop that seed, and as it grows, as it's cultivated, then what takes place is it reaches its optimal potential, correct? So he's saying, you did, you reached your potential. You did everything that you could have done. You didn't bury it like this other one. You are a faithful servant. Now you're full of faith. You went from one level of faith to the next level to the next level to the place that you're full of faith. You're a faithful and good servant. You've been faithful with what I've given to you. And likewise, the one who had two. He came and he said, Lord, I bring uh, two more. And he says to him, you good and faithful servant. But then the one who buried the town in the ground and had no increase, the Lord answers and says to him, verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now, here's something that I want us to understand about faith. When last week we recognized and we saw through the Word that if we are going to grow in our faith, we're going to have to go through testing. There's no way that our faith will increase unless we're tested, right? Can't be promoted unless you pass the test. That's a very important principle. And in James, he actually says, consider it pure joy when you're tested. Wow. A lot of us are like, oh my gosh, I hate this. And God says, consider it pure joy. Because what's happening is your faith is being tested through trials and it's causing you to have to persevere. And because you're persevering, then what happens is you grow. You become mature. You become complete. And you become perfect in the sense that you become everything that God has intended you to be. So without trials or hardship, we cannot become everything that God wants us to be. Now, again, I want to make it clear. I'm not referring to the choices that we have made to go outside of God's will for our lives. I know that even in that, God is still merciful when we repent. But if it's just we're living in sin, we're living in rebellion, we're, we're not obeying what God has called us to do, don't blame the devil for your problems. It's you. You're the one who's created the problems that you're dealing with right now. So understand God loves you, and you just come to Him, you confess it, and you ask Him to forgive you, and then you repent, which means you stop doing it. You stop doing it. It's not enough to say you're sorry and keep doing it. That's not repentance. So you repent, and then you move forward, and you continue to do the will of God. And understand this, you know, with the old cliche, new levels, new devil. Come on now. How many know that? It's true. When you go to a next level, guess what? There's going to be opposition. There's going to be adversity because the enemy doesn't like what's happening. The enemy's quite comfortable, and, and he's not in any way aroused by a church or by a Christian that's not growing. 
Are you just going to church every week, doing your religious duty, but you're not growing spiritually? The enemy will leave you alone. But the very moment you commit yourself to grow spiritually and to embrace your trials and your difficulties and to press through them, then the enemy will attack you again and again and again. Now realize this. Sometimes it's easier for us to go back than it is to press through. Huh? The children of Israel, let's go back to Egypt. We don't like this here, but Moses says, no, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord opens the Red Sea, causes them to be able to press through. When Jesus had, had died and, and had left the disciples, they wanted to go back fishing to their familiar past. But Jesus told them, I called you to believe all of that and to be fishers of men. So our natural tendency as Christians is to want to go back to our, fam our familiar past rather than press through because it's easier. It requires no effort. Uh, let's just go back. Well, this is pretty good. I'll stay right here. And guess what the Lord says? You're not staying where you are. You're not staying where you are, but I like it. God's saying, you will not grow. You will not grow if you just try to be stay where you are. I'm going to bring some adversity in your life that will cause you to have to dig in your heels and to fight to persevere. But what happens? Many Christians, they give up. Many Christians become complacent. They stop growing. And they're just like the third man in the parable of the talents. What has happened now is they've just kind of like, this is good, I've got this one talent. They bury it. But they do not bring increase. God demands increase. God requires return on his investment. We are called to bear fruit. We are called to continue to grow and to develop spiritually. And if you are stuck, if you feel that you're at an impasse and you can't move forward, recognize that the answer is not going back. It's not staying where you are and, and, and being unhappy and dissatisfied, but it's pressing through so you can go to the next level. And when you go to the next level, yes, the enemy will be there to meet you. But God is with you and God has brought you to that level. And the same God that David said, caused me to kill the lion and the bear will enable me to take down Goliath as well. So the question is, are we a good and faithful servant or are we wicked and lazy servants? Lazy servants is what he says. You see, we understand and recognize that the problem with the lazy servant in the parable of the talents all stemmed from his perception and the way he viewed his master. Right? He viewed his master as someone who was a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, verse 24, gathering where you've not scattered seed. His perception of this master was that he was a harsh man. He was imposing unreasonable expectations. But you just expect me to be so good. You just expect me to do so much. Why is it 
that you put these, you know, expectations on me. And rather than embracing the challenge, they try to justify their lack of fruitfulness by become, because the reality is they look at the master as someone who is more of a taskmaster, someone who demands and commands, but not someone who supplies. So many Christians are like that. Well, you know, God demands and commands. God has called me to do this and all. Oh, it's a heavy burden. Yet Jesus talked about his yoke being easy and his burden being light. Right? So where do we go wrong? Ah, he's a hard taskmaster. He's so strict. He's so demanding. He, he requires so much from us. And we view him from the perspective of people that are living under the law and not grace. See, the law commanded and demanded, right? It says in, in John chapter 1 verse 17 that the law came from Moses. But the Bible says that truth and grace came from Jesus Christ. Very interesting. The first miracle that Moses performed under the uh, Moses, the one who represents the law, was he turned water into blood. The very first miracle Jesus performed under grace was he turned the water into wine. Blood, death, wine, celebration, life, joy. Under the law, it's a hard way to live. But under grace in the new covenant, God is not just one who demands, but he's one who supplies. Yes, he has expectations. He says, be holy, for I am holy. He says, yeah, grow in grace and knowledge. Be faithful. Burn with fire. You know, do what you should do. But he doesn't just demand from us. He supplies. He's an amazing provider. Many people see him, though, unfortunately, as the one who just requires. He's hard, taxing. Being a Christian's tedious and burdensome. Constant warfare. Have you ever heard that? I'm in warfare. I'm in warfare. Ten years later, I'm in warfare. They're still in warfare, which means you haven't moved, you haven't grown, you haven't overcome, you haven't changed, you're still defeated, and you've not pressed through. I say this lovingly, but I say it truthfully. Something's wrong with that picture. God has said that he is a provider, and he wants us to go from one level to the next. What is it going to require? It's going to require that you begin to access the supply of his grace. It's going to, you understand that, you understand this, that faith, we say faith without works is dead, correct? James chapter 2, verse 20. Faith without works is dead. But do you know works without faith is dry and boring? Works without faith. Think about the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, it's amazing when you read the description of them in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. 
They were commended by Jesus for many things. Jesus said they toiled tirelessly, they loathed sin, they embraced sound doctrine, and they patiently endured hardship and persecution for his name's sake. But yet, he still offers up an indictment. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. You've, you've fallen from your first love. But they did all these things. They went to church. They were on roster. They gave. They served. But yet, in the midst of all of this, they were in a place where they literally had no faith. How do I know that? Look with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. As we continue our study on faith, we're going to look at a second key that we must embrace if we're going to experience breakthrough and continued growth and development of our faith. And that key is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. So what is he saying? He's saying it's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision, it's not human effort. It's not the things that people do that makes them righteous. But what it is that makes us righteous is faith. And he says faith that works, what? By love or through love. Faith works through love. The word work is, an, is a Greek term from which we get our English word energy. Faith that is energized by love. So do you want to have strong faith? Do you want to be able to tell people to get out of wheelchairs and they get out of wheelchairs? Do you want to be able to cast demons out of people? Do you want to overcome? Do you want to be able to preach the gospel and see amazing miracles take place? Do you want to have faith that you believe God for millions of dollars or whatever it is? Whatever it is, if you want to have that type of faith, you have to recognize that it comes through love. Faith that works through love. What does that mean? Faith that works through love. You can have faith that you can, ha you can have works, but it's not derived from love. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, the church in Ephesus, but they've fallen from their first love. They've fallen from their first love. What does that mean? My perception, your perception of God literally determines the level of faith that we walk in. You see, if we just see him as one who commands and demands, then we'll never have a great faith. But our faith will only be as strong as our conviction of God's love is for me and others. Faith works by love. What does that mean? Faith works by love. Jesus taught something revolutionary to the people of his day. Matthew seven eleven. If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Thank heaven for Matthew 7, 11. God says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. Come on. Now, first of all, let's not get offended. He said we're evil. Jesus said to his generation, you're evil. But yet, even though you're evil, 
you still know how to give good gifts. So how about my father, who's perfect, who's holy, who's righteous, who's love? How much more will he give? So if you ask him for a serpent, a stone, he's not going to give you a serpent. If you ask him for an egg, you see, the point he's trying to make is that your perception of God in terms of who he is will cause you to walk in the corresponding level of faith. If you see God as someone who disciplines and abuses his children, right? Because, oh yeah, God is punishing me for something I did 30 years ago. And therefore, you know, this sickness is God trying to, you know, teach me something. And as I said earlier, the reality is that when we're going through all of this stuff, what do we do? If it is God's will that this sickness is placed upon you, if it's from him so that he's trying to chastise you or chasten you or teach you something, then by taking medicine, we're actually fighting against his will. Do you see the absurdity of that argument? The Bible says this, guys, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, the Father of lights. He's a good God. He's an awesome God. He's not disciplining you for something. If you're living in sin, you know what? The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2, your own backsliding will discipline you, will correct you. Your own backsliding will. It'll correct you. And yeah, God chastens us when we live in sin and rebellion. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is we're in a place where we are refusing to access his grace because we think that he is angry, he's mad at us, he's chastening us, he's chastising us, when in reality, it's the work of the devil trying to destroy you. Jesus never wants, think about this, his disciples, he's up on the mountain praying. He comes down and he finds that this man has a son who's demonized. He has these symptoms of, of, of epilepsy and so on. And Jesus comes down and the father runs up to him and says, I brought my son to your disciples to heal him, but they're not able to help. What was Jesus' response? Did he say, well, the same Holy Spirit that's in me is with them. And if they weren't able to do it, then why are you bothering me? It must be God's will that your son be like that. Did he do that? He looked at them and he said, Oh, unbelieving generation. Oh, faithless generation. How long will I put up with you? How long will I put up with you? That's what Jesus said. Bring the boy to me. And immediately he commanded the spirits to come out of the boy and he was delivered. Because why? God is good. God, Jesus, Acts 10.38, the Bible says, and you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So there's a problem, a fundamental problem with many of, our th of us, our theology. We blame things on God when God came to set us free. God came to heal us. God came to save us. God came to deliver us. But we won't receive that because we view him as this hard taskmaster. 
We see him as the one who commands and demands. But the reality is, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Romans 5 verse 6. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were still sinners. Romans 5 verse 8. While we were still sinners. And then I love what Paul says next. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> while we were lost, while we had no time, no concern for God, while we were not in church, while we were in the world doing whatever, God sent his son to die for us, to save us then, because he loved us then. For God so loved the world, as nasty and ugly and selfish and rebellious as it is, that he sent his only begotten son. It's his love that causes him to give. He's a giving God. He's a God of supply. Remember the story of the fish and loaves. 5,000 men, not including the women and children, are fed, correct? Supernatural provision, 12 baskets left over. There's another story in which Jesus fed 4,000 men, not including the women and children, and there are seven baskets left over. Do you think the number 12 and 7 are just random numbers? No, there's a very significant prophetic reason behind that. First of all, when he fed the 5,000, this was in an area that was, was Jewish and 12 tribes of Israel. So the excess is saying, look, God has enough grace. God has sufficient enough that he can take care of whatever need you face, whatever challenges before you, and he'll have plenty left over, enough for all of Israel. And then when he does the, the miracle of the 4,000, he's saying the same thing. And he says, he has seven baskets left over, which is a number of the nations. He's got enough grace for all of the nations. In fact, even the Greek word that is used for the two different baskets there, the one in the feeding of the 4,000 was more of a basket that the Gentiles used. <laughs> Come on. I'm preaching myself happy. I don't know about you. Come on now. He's a God of supply. His grace is sufficient. What father would expect his children to do something they're not knowledgeable of or capable of doing? You told me to serve you, God. But it's not working. God says, I gave you grace. I didn't tell you to overcome the devil's works. I didn't tell you to live a holy life. I didn't tell you you could walk righteousness, peace, and joy by your own strength, by your own merit, by your own resources. I've given you supernatural supply and provision. It's called grace. And grace will enable you to be able to overcome. Love 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Paul speaking of his own life. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Wow. Look at, I worked harder than all of them. But 
It wasn't me doing it in my own strength. It was the grace of God that was energizing me. It was faith that was energized by love. Faith that was energized by love. When I come to God and I realize that he's a good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children, I can come before him in faith and I can say, thank you, Father, that I'm going to receive from you because you're a good father and you want to give good gifts. And even if I'm living not the way I should be, I can come before him to receive forgiveness. I can come before him to receive a supply of grace and empowerment. He is a good God. He's an amazing God. God loved you before you were saved. God loves you now. His kindness is to bring you to repentance. His kindness, his love. You see, a lot of people, Christians, work for God's love rather than from God's love. It's a different place. When this revelation gets a hold of you that Paul says that you can recognize that faith works. Faith is energio. Faith is energized by love. How do you want faith that's energized? Do you want faith that's Holy Spirit, electricity, and love? Love. I love. He loves me. It's the love of God and the love for God. Because he first loved us, we love him. Amen? How many believe that? Let's stand together. He is the God of supply. I just love the fact that Jesus came to supply all our need. He came to supply all our need according to his riches and glory. Amen?